0: Hello and welcome to The Drabblecast, episode 246. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week's show, Awkward Run-Ins. The uncomfortable moment when your hand touches another man's in a bag of popcorn, and you have no idea who he is, and he had no idea you were eating his popcorn. The awkward silence that follows when you bump into your boss at a mime orgy. You just can't avoid these things, folks. So let's get at drabbling. This week's 100-word story is coming at you a little different. I pulled it from the Dribblecast, which is the Drabblecast's very own awesome listener-run fancast. Anyone can participate and try out their drabbling, reading, and audio production chops over at dribblecast.org. Pretty awesome. Check this one out here.
1: The Return by Chris Munro, a.k.a. Munzee, read by Michelle Restuccia. When he came back, he came back wrong. He looked the same, if observed superficially enough, but behind his eyes was a disturbing blankness, a lack of sympathy, empathy. Whatever quality it is that allows one living person to connect meaningfully with another, he now lacked it, and in its place was nothing. Were there enough of him left to wish, he'd wish for a merciful end. Instead, he lurched into the house where she, unknowingly, defenselessly, awaited him. "'How was work, honey?' You don't want to know, he murmured, shoulders slumped, as he grabbed himself a beer. You've been listening to the Dribblecast, made by fans of the Drabblecast. Find out more about both podcasts at the Drabblecast forums at drablecast.com. Dot free forums dot org. This story was written by Chris Munro. You can find more of Chris's stories at munseystories.blogspot.com That's m-u-n-s-i-s-t-o-r-i-e-s.blogspot.com This story was read by Michelle Restuccia. AKA Ms Mika. You can follow Michelle on Twitter, handle mrsmica, or follow her blog at wakingdreamsblog.blogspot.com.
0: And that leads us to this week's story, The Kidney by Amir Ahmed. Amir is a young man who wishes he'd studied accountancy. So without further ado, we bring you The Kidney by Amir Amit. The shop bell rang at the front of the St. George Tim Hortons. I didn't see who came in, but when Shell looked up, his eyes widened. Crap, he whispered. It's my kidney. Your kidney? I asked. I turned in my seat, but Shell jerked me back by the shoulder. He held up his free hand to shield his face. Shh, he murmured. Don't look at it. The doorbell clinked again as the door shut behind the newcomer. Shell's nostrils flared. He pulled me in. I got a close-up of his post-exam hobo beard. I tried not to gag. This close he smelled of sweat, stale coffee, and blueberry muffin. There was a stainless steel napkin dispenser on the table next to my half-finished bagel. I looked into it. The dispenser reflected the St. George Street Timmy's admirably. But since it was quarter to four on a Thursday, there wasn't much to show. Three old ladies behind the counter, one leaning on the register, one bagging donuts, the other working the ovens in the back. The place was empty, except, at the front of the door, a white blob. I strained my eyes in the steel, coaxing the reflection to tell me more. The blob was the size of a pop can, or a large blueberry muffin, hardly noticeable except for its color, a stark, sickly white. As I watched, the blob twitched. It shuddered. Finally, it spun, tugged the door, and rolled out onto the street. Shell relaxed his grip. I pulled away from him. God, Shell sighed. He leaned back in his chair and groaned to the ceiling. Thank God it didn't see us. What was that? I asked. I smoothed out my jacket, ruffled from where Shell grabbed me. Ugh, my kidney, Shell said. He turned away from the window and covered his face with his hand. I had it taken out. I don't think it's got the message just yet. Your kidney? I asked. Let's wait a few minutes before we leave for the exhibit, okay? We left the St. George Timmies at 4.50. A sharp breeze threw hard flecks of ice up from the street. I pulled my scarf tight and zipped my jacket up to the neck. Shell wore only a hoodie and sweats. He bent in the cold. We headed down St. George. Night was falling, but the traffic lit the streets. Everywhere the headlights refracted through twisty, rising exhaust fumes, shone in the wet, gritty asphalt and blinded pedestrians. It came here to spite me, Shell told me, fighting with the wind for volume. He pulled his hood up. Why did you get rid of it, I asked. The wind kicked up eddies of powdery snow, a spray curled around our feet. I just wasn't feeling it, you know, Shell said. His eyes darted down the road, under cars, into the dark corners behind trash cans. Anyway, it was a clean break, he said. We passed a street lamp. The clouds from his breath flared like gas lamps. We agreed it was for the best. We stopped at a red light. A police car wailed down the road. A few meters away, a grill in the sidewalk blasted warm, oil-smelling air out of the subway tunnels. A woman walking a patchy terrier dropped change into a homeless man's upheld baseball cap. The wind whined, flapping the banners flying from the hydropoles. The banners showed age-worn Mayan statues. Neat white text ran across the bottom. Maya. Secrets of their ancient world, September through January at the ROM. I thought kidneys were red, I commented, remembering the blob at the restaurant and its pale ivory color. No blood, Shell said. He stuffed his hands into his sweater pouch. I kept the blood. It seemed fine with it. Huh. The light turned green. The little walkman lit up. We continued on blur to the museum. Here, Blore was mostly old Victorian-style mansions. In the dark, they looked dead. Dark windows, cold stone, empty lawns spotted with black, brittle trees. No signs of life in those great old tenements, except for the yellow bulbs burning at the front doors. We passed in silence. Shell kept looking over his shoulder. I wished he'd stop. "'Maybe it found someone new,' Shell muttered. "'Maybe it just wants to stick it to me or something. "'Ah!' Shell jumped into me. I swore and pushed him off. There it is! He threw his hand up to an overhanging tree. It's... A squirrel, I finished for him. It's a squirrel. The squirrel corkscrewed around its branch, back to the tree, and away from Shell's peculiar brand of crazy. Huh? Shell asked. I glared at him. Oh, um, uh, sorry. It's been a long day, I said diplomatically. Let's just get to the exhibit. It's just that... Shell tucked his fingers inside his sleeves and waved his stumpy arms. What does it want? You know, I... You don't think it's come for revenge, do you? Revenge? Why? Shell pulled his collar up over his nose. His cloudy breath twisted through the cloth. He spoke, and his voice came out, muffled. I don't know. Maybe it just came into Timmy's by accident, I said. Uh, It shouldn't even be in Toronto, Shell said. Well, if you see it, you can ask. No, no, I can't. Oh, my God. Shell clasped his ears. I... I lied. We didn't part on good terms at all. I mean, we sort of agreed that we did, but that's not really what happened. Shell gulped. The wind ruffled the cords on his hood. He raised his head to mine, and his eyes were glinting in the light. I... gave it Hep A, he said. Jesus... It'll be really hard for it to find someone else, Shell continued. But uh, I don't know. I just, I tried to make it work, but I just couldn't do it anymore. Wow, I whispered. The sun was gone, but there was still enough pale yellow light on the rim of the sky to outline the dark, hulking shape of the Royal Ontario Museum as we walked up Bloor. The entrance was on the other side of the street. We tried to cross over, but missed the walk light. Shell grabbed my arm. Hey! I went to throw him off, but he held my arm down. Don't look, he told me slowly. It's right across the street. Don't look, don't look, don't look. I looked. Across the street, slouching next to an empty bike stand, teetering on the edge of the sidewalk over the wet, grimy street, stood the kidney. Despite the near total darkness, the thing was so white that I could see it clearly. The kidney was a little larger than a fist, an oval mass with just a bit of kink so it bent over. It was a horrible shade of white, not ivory or milk, but the blue-white of freezeburn or dead meat. A drip of yellow pus oozed down one side of it. Three strands trailed behind it, the arteries and digestive tubing. The ends of the strands were frayed, torn like something bit them. As I watched, the kidney twitched. It shivered, bent, and leaned forward onto the street. It was coming. Shell spoke again, deadpan, quiet, hopeless. It saw us. The kidney rolled across the asphalt. Cars honked. It lurched ahead anyway, building speed, compressing and twisting and stretching itself into a sprint. Shell stared, slack-jawed, glassy-eyed at the rolling blob. His breath stopped. I grabbed his shoulder. He didn't move. Just act like you didn't see it, I said. I pointed out the subway stairs down the block. We'll lose it down there. Uh Uh-huh, Shell said. Just act natural. It knows, Shell said. It knows I saw it. It didn't. I pulled him back into a walk. Act natural. We paced up the street, straight for the stairs leading down to the Bloor Street subway. I began to feel the pavement vibrate in the soles of my feet. The train's coming, I said. Come on. We walked faster. I forced my eyes straight ahead, resisting the magnetic pull to look behind me, to see the kidney rolling towards us. In my head, I saw it coming closer, rolling with a wet, sliding sound. Schlick, schlick, schlick. I imagined it, huge, the details coming into sharp focus, the cold, frost-bitten flesh, the torn cords flapping behind it, the blue veins bulging, sick with hepatitis. Schlick, schlick. the phantom sound intensified, the rumble beneath my feet, nearly at the subway now. "'I can't take it,' Shell said. He screwed his eyes shut. "'Damn it!' Shell bolted. I realized I was running with him. We raced to the mouth of the stairs. Hot air gushed out of the grills in the street. A mob pushed out of the stairs. Shell and I pushed past them. He raced for the turnstiles. I pulled him back. "'Wait!' I pointed to the other stairs, leading back out to Bloor. "'Let's go the other way. It'll think we took the subway.' "'Oh, that's stupid!' Shell screamed. "'Come on!' I grabbed his other shoulder and forced him up the other stairs. We stopped at the top, peering down into the station floor. It's smart, Shell said. It would never fall for something like that. Something white appeared on the other stairway. The kidney. It flopped between the stampede, dodging feet, slinking beneath benches, sliding against the walls. It's gonna get crushed, Shell said, getting up. I held him back. Wait. The kidney turned, slowly, searching for us. It didn't notice us. Now, I whispered, pulling Shell up. We crossed to the other side of Bloor, right in front of the museum. We went in and paid for the Maya exhibit. Even if the kidney realized we'd tricked it, it wouldn't follow us. It had no money. It'll just go home now, Shell said as we headed down the museum's lobby. It's just going to wait for me there. Stay with Cameron, I suggested. I'll give him a call. Shell whispered. What am I going to do? Look, it sucks that you left it, but it's over between you two now, I said. I planted my hand on his shoulder. There's no going back, right? Right, Shell agreed. Right? Right. We made a thorough study of the Maya exhibit and the First Nations Gallery on the first floor. I wanted to see the Middle East section, but it was nearing 8. The ROM closed at 8.30. We came out of the Rotunda exit onto University Avenue. The street was silent, just the old planetarium and a couple of U of T lecture halls. Thanks again for earlier, Shell told me. Yeah, no problem. You going back to Union? Now, I want to pick up something from Robert's first. Cool, man. Well, I'll see you Sunday. Yeah, uh, check with Carolyn, though. I don't know if she's gonna be late or not. We waved goodbye. Shell headed south towards the university core and towards Union Station. I headed north towards Robert's library. I reached Robert's at a quarter past eight. The great concrete monster towered over me, but for all its size, it made me feel comfortable. The lights running up the walls were all on, glowing a warm yellow light. As I approached, I noticed something on the edge of the steps. Oh, I said. Hi. The kidney sat on the bottom step, huddled over for warmth. As I approached, it straightened, it shifted, and its spongy matter oozed a thin yellow liquid that dribbled on the sidewalk. It was cut up now, Pinpricks of yellow pus were coagulating down its side, and a trio of long black marks made from subway dirt scarred its front. Ah, Shell's not here, I said. Did you want to ask him something? The kidney didn't move, but I could tell it was disappointed. Um, okay. Have Have a good one, then. The kidney slunk away. The image of that lonely organ, flopping wetly through the dark, cold night, burned itself into my head. I watched it, and when it turned a corner, I ascended the library steps, still thinking about the kidney. Something so seemingly vital. Something so constant. Something so irreversibly part of Shell. that was our story. Hope you enjoyed. If my kidney was a person, it'd be a 50-year-old waitress named Dora pouring coffee at a truck stop, and I would never do anything to break her heart. If you enjoyed this week's story, you know the drill. Here's where I ask if you'd consider donating to us, because that's how we pay authors and how this entire show runs. There, I did it. You can find support links off drabblecast.org, and we really, really appreciate whatever you might be able to give. On to our 100-character twitfix story winner this week. First-time winner? Never mind. With this one here. Rogers had to admit, above the screaming, that the scientist's little finger did in fact know more than he did, after all. Follow us on Twitter for the winner early each week. Amongst other things, we're at the Drabblecast. So that's our show, folks. Remember, Drabblecast is produced with a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes or wherever you pick up our show. Blog about us. Tell a friend. Spread the weird. Special thanks to this week's awesome episode artist, David Flett. David's an intern architect living and working in Toronto, Ontario. You can find more examples of his work and his sketch blog at www.weird-birds.blogspot.com. So our program is brought to you by myself, Nikki Drayden, managing editor, our submissions editor, Nathan Lee, editor-at-large, Matthew Bay, our art director, Beau Kire, and with additional help from Tom Baker, David Carvin, David Steffen, Jake Webb, and Jonathan McNeil. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman reminding you to just act natural.